Hello, good people of Sherwood, and welcome to a special bonus episode of It'll Be Alright in the 1190s. I'm Alex of the Greenwood, and joining me is my usual co-host, Stu de Joslan, and also joining us is returning special guest, Adam of the Greenwood. How are you both? Good morrow to thee, good sir. Yeah, very good. Uh, looking forward to our, our first ever bonus episode and a great topic to do it on as well, one that I know that's close to both of your hearts. So yeah, looking forward to getting stuck in. Yeah, how are you, Adam? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. I'm, I'm excited to talk about this as well. This is, I think, your third appearance, isn't it, after the Christmas episode and the cigarettes and alcohol episode. So um, you're now joint 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 record appearance holder with joe yes yeah with does, joe, it, so. does it count if it's a bonus episode or is that better is that am i better than them <laughs> maybe yeah maybe it's maybe two and a half uh-huh. two and a half yeah i don't it know could, it could be a question for jeff that actually yeah I, I don't i don't know what the legal you know i, I don't know what the legal legality of it all is so yeah no. we'll, have to, we'll have to check into that yeah we'll ask him Before we get into the main topic of the episode, I should say that today's episode does have a sponsor, like with all our main episodes. The bonus episodes are not exempt. Um, We take the the cash wherever we can get it. Um, And today's episode is sponsored by Much's Milled Wheat and Corn Products. So if you head (laughs) down to Much's Nottingham or Worksop branches and quote the code ALLRIGHT90s, you can get three groats off their entire range of flour and grain products, uh, which should help you out throughout what looks to be a pretty difficult winter ahead, what with all the um, the dreadful levies that we know the authorities are, are putting on everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so make the most of the offer from the sponsor, Much's Milled Wheat and Corn Products, today's episode sponsor. Lovely. I mean, I know we had interest from um, Emlyn's Longbows as well, but we went with we went, we went with the grain uh, supplier. So, so yeah, do get that in uh, for, ready for the long winter ahead. Speaking of grain, are you familiar with the Prince of Thieves cereal? No, oh, hello. we're right into things here. No, I will have then. to. Oh yeah, sorry. I don't know if that's a bit of a spoiler for the episode content. <laughs> I think it's become quite clear what the theme of the episode is. Yeah, going to be. yeah. I think we're yeah, all. Yeah, right. I was unaware of this, uh, and I heard about it on a on another podcast, and I've looked it up, uh, and they were sort of joking about how phallic the cereal is. It's supposed to be like arrows, but it it, it definitely is quite phallic. I will I will send you an image so you can see. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to I'm going to look it up on uh, ye old Google. Um, I think they had uh, Ask Jeeves then, didn't they? <laughs> That's true, yeah. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah, I can see the, uh, the, the, the slightly problematic serial shape. I can see why that has uh, caused some issues. Um, it also looks like they've not had actual rights to I think it's not an actual official tie-in is it to look they've not used Kevin Costner's image and it's it just says Prince of Thieves yeah so I think I think maybe they they found a little way a little loophole maybe they had some some penis shaped cereal left over from another project and they thought we could <laughs> maybe sort of offload this if we do a, a, a sort of a archery themed cereal somehow. yeah yeah proper old school cereal box I like look at that but yes, so today's episode is a bonus episode. It's it's not part of the, the It'll Be Alright in the 90s canon as such. Uh, but it follows on from our Films of 1991 episode, which we did last week. Uh, and during the episode, we, well, I talked at length about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves and how much I love that film. 
But we also touched upon another Robin Hood film that came out in the same year, a British production, that seemed to seek without trace, I, I guess, because Prince of Thieves came out in the same year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out neither me nor Stu had ever watched it before. Um, so we thought, let's both watch it, do a little bonus episode, discuss what we thought of it. And uh, also, Stu, you've never seen Prince of Thieves, have you? So I you have no, now. No. I have now seen it. I can confirm. Yes. So we'll, we'll we'll also all discuss how we think they compare as the two two rival Robin Hood films of the year. Um, so well, let's just get straight into it then. What did everyone think of the British Robin Hood film from 1991? Yes, I tracked this down and watched it for the first time the other day. And I think you and I had the same idea when the very first uh, caption flashed up, which is that the papyrus font is never a signal fire for anything that's that's good <laughs> and, and and this is used liberally uh, in the in the opening titles for um uh, for, for this movie um I, I joke this isn't a bad film at all um uma thurman in an early role playing uh, playing maid marion of course mm-hmm. um, one of the things that struck me in the opening was that it's a very small incident that leads to a very large event happening so this guy, a guy, is caught uh, hunting on on Sir Robert Hode, as, as he is known uh, mm-hmm. at the beginning of the film, uh, on Sir Robert Hode's land. Uh, Sir Robert Hode decides to uh, let him off instead of having him punished, and for this he gets outlawed, and it sort of escalates very quickly, and uh, and he becomes an outlaw. So it just seemed to be a very small thing that that, that kicked it all off and and got the film going, if you like. And yeah, that 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 was my that was my impression of of the of the opening i have to have a few notes about things that happened at other points in the film um but what what was your what was your opinion of sort of the first 20 minutes half an hour well like like Stu said the one of the things i quite liked about it was the inciting incident that sort of leads to robin hood being outlawed it him sort of stepping in to save uh, a poacher's life it's sort of that's the, the the start of it, but then it sort of escalates because uh, Robin reveals a secret of I can't remember the, the, the main character's name. He's like he's not someone who is in any of the other Robin Hood stories, as far as I'm aware. But yeah, so it's, it's not the sheriff of Nottingham, and it's not Guy of Gisborne, yeah. is it? That those two aren't aren't in it. They're replaced by by other characters. Yeah, he's um, the guy. He has like a bowl cut in it. That's probably the best way that I can think to sort of signify who that is. But him and Robin are friends, and when Robin betrays this secret of his by sort of saying in public, your great grandfather was a pirate. That's the thing that's, that drives the wedge between them. And so the film is sort of more about their relationship than Robin and Marion's relationship in a way. Like there's more, sort of like a bromance where they sort of fall out at the beginning and then are at, like sort of come back together towards the end. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, it, it, that's true actually. It is kind of about their relationship, isn't it? So. The character who's kind of in the place of the Sheriff of Nottingham, I suppose, it is Baron Baron Roger de, Gu- de Guerre, or de Guerre. Uh, and then I suppose the guy of Gisborne character is Sir Miles Falconet, I think. Yeah. And they are so. So Sir Miles Falconet is is a Norman basically, and that's a real theme in this film, isn't it? It's very pro-Saxon, anti-Norman. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess, yeah, the guy you're talking about who was friends with Robin Hood 
I think I guess he's a Saxon, although he's got a kind of French name. But he no, I think he's a Norman because there's a bit towards the end where there's like a fight between him and uh, Will Scarlet, and they're sort of saying like we can we we uh, both yeah. want England to be great. <clears throat> Dick or whatever his name was said, I will make England great despite the English. And Will Scarlet says like we should work together and. It's, I think it's all about like unifying the Saxons and the Normans, but the the real baddie in it is the very French Norman guy, the sort of the guy of Gisborne, mm-hmm. sort of character type character, who is a German actor doing a terrible French accent. It was a very very <laughs> French French in inverted commas accent, wasn't it? <laughs> Indeed. And just touching on Will Scarlet there. Um, I wasn't really paying attention during the opening credits, and I was completely under the impression that uh, Will Scarlet was portrayed by Michael Ball in this movie. It was only <laughs> it was only um, when the the end credits came up that I, re- I realised it wasn't, and I was very surprised to learn that it wasn't. This this actor looks very very similar to uh, <laughs> to Michael Ball. I thought, ah, oh, there, there we go, there, there's old Michael, but but alas, it wasn't. Um, yeah, it's, it's actually <laughs> Owen Teal from Game of Thrones. He was also in. Line of Duty. Um, if you look him up, you'll recognise it. But he, he's Will Scarlet, yeah, one of the, the more recognisable actors in, in the film. Somebody else I thought I recognised, but I I couldn't find any evidence on IMDb or any of the, the usual websites to support this, is that when in the scene when the children are on the gallows, um, mm-hmm. I thought the older child looked very much like the lad from Burner's Watch. Um, oh. I, I thought it very, very much looked like him, but but then I thought, well, 1991, he probably would have been too young because it looks like Bernard does in the series, which was made later mm. in the 90s. Um, so, so I don't think it was him, but it just made me again. It made me start and think, oh, that's that's Bernard. But but I don't think it was. If anybody has any uh, evidence to the to the contrary, then please let me know. But um... I never actually watched <laughs> Bernard's Watch as a child, or or ever, in fact, and I was under the impression that it was a cartoon. So that's interesting to find out it's not a cartoon i never watched either which i guess makes sense i kind of thought it was a cartoon as well i, I wonder if we're getting it mixed up with williams wished wellingtons is that <laughs> another <laughs> another kids program where the character gets sort of wishes due to an inanimate object that mm. they i've on. never heard of, of that one either that sounds like you've just made that up oh no no <laughs> no williams wished wellingtons definitely exists but uh, yeah, yeah no yeah. they are they are two and, and it is a cartoon but but they are decidedly uh, different I think what I was thinking of was uh, Penny Crayon. Oh yeah, oh yes, which, which was a cartoon, Crayon. and she yeah, could yeah. she could draw stuff which then came to life. I think, yeah, which is not not the same as a watch that can stop time, but still a good power to have in yeah. the CBB cinematic universe. So, so out of the three, then are we saying if we could have a watch that could stop time, Wellingtons that could grant any wish, or you could draw something and it would come true? Which one are we saying is the most uh, the most useful? It's got to be the wellies, surely. Yeah. If you're no good at drawing, you're, or you're sort of limited by what you can potentially draw, so... That's true. Yeah. You could sort of conjure... If you try to draw a person, you could sort of conjure up some sort of awful mutant sort of <laughs> being into, into existence that would presumably just wish to be killed straight away. Mm. Yeah, the Penny Crayon scenario relies on you living in a cartoon world yourself. Yeah. Because you'd never be able to draw anything that looked lifelike enough, which unless you were a brilliant artist, so you'd sort of 
you, you try and draw yourself loads of money, but it, it would it would never be taken or accepted mm. at the bank, would it? They'd be like, this isn't clearly counterfeit because mm. it looks like it's been written and drawn on a piece of A4 with a biro, which it you, would have been. You, yeah, you could live in a, a big house, but it would be a big square house with four square windows in the front and yeah. a door and a squiggle of smoke coming out of a chimney. I was going to say, a little curl of smoke coming out of the chimney, yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, well, I'm glad we've solved that. <laughs> uh, in terms of, of the film and I thought it was I, I did enjoy it I, I thought it was the, I think the one thing I really liked about it was the setting and the, the filming style it was really it was clearly filmed in winter which I mm. thought was quite a surprising choice for a film set in a forest because there's no leaves on any of the trees there's no sort of foliage or cover it doesn't look like a particularly nice place and there's a scene where they fight over the river and, and Robin falls in the river and it just looks freezing cold. Actually, there's a couple of scenes where people go in the river and it looks like it must have been quite hard to film. But um, I really, I kind of liked that aesthetic. It made it seem a bit more gritty. It was definitely more earthy, I would have said, is the, was the word I would have I would have used um, to, to compare it to uh, Prince of Thieves. Yeah, um, there was, there was a, uh, a thing which I didn't pick up on at the time, but when I read about it later, sort of, thought oh yeah that makes sense and then spotted it on the re-watch is that the only time that the sun comes out is again spoiler alert when Robin and Marion get married at the end it's like the mm. unifying of the the Norman and Saxon warring factions yeah yeah I saw that on the IMDB trivia page was I thought it was a bit harsh that that comment only got one out of nine interests I didn't even pick up on that. I know we like to see if, if, yeah, if there's a good bit of trivia whether other people have responded or not. But yeah, I but that, that seems I think a bit mean. It probably is in, uh, in, intentional, isn't it? I think. Oh yeah, um, definitely. Because there's a whole thing where they look. The one of the characters who's painted is like the green man looks to the sky and there's a big, prolonged shot of him sort of mm-hmm. smiling as the sun comes out and then a shot of sunlight coming through the trees. It's oh. a, yeah, it's definitely a conscious decision. I would have said. Yeah, I, I thought the story was was pretty good. It's, there's some similarities, or there's some really striking similarities with Prince of Thieves, aren't there? Um, so I guess we can start talking about Prince of Thieves a bit as well. But um, the like the element with the the church and the background being kind of run by sort of greedy, not very reputable reputable people, I thought was was the same as Prince of Thieves. Um, the scene that you just mentioned with the hanging of of the peasants uh, having to be rescued by Robin Hood was was almost straight this out of Prince of Thieves. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's no there's no witch, but um, yeah, there's just what other bits that I have written down here. Or oh, the wedding marriage. at the end, yeah, I guess. marriage at the end. Which out of the two films, I would say the the marriage at the end of the non Costner Robin Hood was like vastly superior. I think the wedding scene in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves almost spoils the rest of the, the film for me. Do you mean because it looks too nice or because it's too, too it's cheesy? The, it's, it's too cheesy and it's the, the wink to the camera or the, the bit where Fry Tuck talks, breaks the fourth wall. Oh, yeah, yeah. It completely, I don't know, it sort of ruins the rest of the film for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I think another similarity actually that I've got written here is that one of the merry men portrays Robin by going to the going to Nottingham Castle, and um, and that was really similar to to the Christian Slater character of what well, he's Will yeah. Scarlet in that um, that he portrays him, doesn't it? So 
I, I'm not an expert on the Robin Hood sort of through the through the centuries because it's obviously a really old story. So some of these things might just be part of some of those really old stories and legends. I don't know, but um, definite similarities here. It was quite a shocking moment, I thought, when um, they they find Harry, who's uh, who's the character who's gone to gone to betray Robin, um, and they find him sort of in the cage with the maggots in his eyes, and yeah, uh, that that was not really in keeping with the um, with the rest of the film. I thought it was quite a shocking moment. Yeah, there was nothing really like that happens in the in the rest of the movie, so I found that quite jarring. Um, the one of my other criticisms of the film was that it is quite bloodless like i know there is like so you see people shot by arrows and stuff but there's the big fight towards the end there's clearly this this clear shots where people hit someone with a sword quite gently and they pretend that they've been stabbed but you see there's no like actual it's just like being hit with a, a like a fake sword and they sort of clutch their chest and and go down and you sort of think that's the sort of thing that would be fine in the background but you can't have that as the main action in the shot and get away with it. Not def- definitely not these days. You need to see yeah. some sort of blood. They didn't even go to the effort of making it go under his arm like he would do on a stage production. It was just <laughs> whack them on the chest and they fell down. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, that, that gibbet or gibbet scene with Harry, Harry's body in it, like you said, I totally agree, was really quite shocking. But it did also really remind me of Prince of Thieves, the moment where you see Robin's dad Baron Blessed hanging from a gibbet in outside his castle in Prince of Thieves, which when I watched it at the cinema, which I keep I'm sure I've mentioned this at least twice on the pod, I had to recoil from. Mm-hmm. So it's really just strange that those two moments are really similar of having someone in a gibbet, yeah, being quite gory. So I thought that was kind of weird. I was just gonna say there was one other bit of violence which I thought was kind of slightly odd, which is when Friar Tuck breaks someone's neck. He does in quite a sassy way. Yes. Oh yeah. That's why I made a little moment. He does like the finger clicking from side to side, and I I wasn't. I mean, I wasn't aware of that being a thing until obviously like white people started doing it, ironically, in like the two thousands or whatever. Maybe it was like a sassy thing that was just generally in the culture previous to that, but it was very much like tonally odd, wasn't it? That that Mm -hmm. moment. Like it, yeah. the whole thing is so was just generally bizarre. Like to to break someone's neck like that in this film, and then that to be the way that the, the sort of the the one liner sort of sign off. Yeah, it was, the whole thing was very bizarre. <laughs> um, I'd also just like to say I think it took Robin far too long to realise that Robert Proud was in fact uh, Maid Marian. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd have probably realised in about five seconds, but it, but it yeah. takes him like weeks in the film it's, so it's like, so bizarre isn't it that yeah that bit because he especially the, the bit that i think makes that i mean firstly this film was made in 91 and i think blackadder had made was already making fun of that idea of like mm-hmm. a woman dressing up as a young boy in order to like live a double life like sort of five or so years previous to this so to be making that like a major part of your plot in 91 is feels like a bit of a mistake but the, the bit where it's most ridiculous is when he takes this boy off uh, to meet Maid Marion. <laughs> he, he, someone is sort of trapped him by setting up a meeting with Maid Marion yes, and he takes yeah. the real Maid Marion in disguise as this guy. <laughs> and he's saying, 
<laughs> telling her the story of himself falling in love with Maid Marian and how incredibly beautiful she is. And he's sort of telling her the story face to face. And no point does he ever say, actually, she, now that I mention it, you look quite a lot like this woman who I'm sort of waxing lyrical about. She's, she's so unbelievably beautiful, yet I've somehow completely forgotten yeah. what she looks like enough that I could not recognise her right now, now that you've dyed your hair black. Yeah, it's, it is a bit laughable, that bit. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, that, that brings us on to the casting, I guess, and specifically um, Uma Thurman as Maid Marin. Um, I really like her in that role. I really liked, this one of my favourite bits of the whole film, I think, was her in that role. I thought she was good. I thought the character was good. She was kind of stood up for herself quite a lot. You know, she even gets involved with some some fighting towards the end. But to see, I really like the way she did she did the character. What about you two? The just the fighting at the end. As mm. another bit of an issue I had with the film was uh, this is after the as Robin Hood and the Outlaws are sort of interrupting the marriage, isn't it? The the, the marriage ceremony. Uh, so they sort of break in and they're and uh, Robin is fighting the. Um, the German Frenchman and <laughs> Maid Marion is sort of st- staying to one side and sort of doing the sort of look out Robin sort of thing. But then there's a point where some guards break in and they go to attack Maid Marion. And there's no real reason for them to, to do that. Like they sort of rush her with spears and stuff and she fights them off. Mm. But mm. why are they attacking, attacking her? There's, there's sort of no real logical reason for that. Yeah, She's one of, the, the, one of two of the three people in the room who should be there. She's the, like she's the bride at the wedding. I think they're just panicking. They're hotheads, aren't they? Maybe. Maybe yeah. it's an intrinsic hatred of women that they just kicks yeah. in. That there's a chance they see a woman. They've got some spears. Yeah, and it, 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 an implication that the Normans are misogynists and, and sort of brutes all around. Yeah. Maybe. I thought there were a lot of similarities as well with the wedding to the wedding of Mr. Burns and Marge's mum. <laughs> um, when when Grandpa interrupts it from the top balcony, I've yeah. just got Mrs. I've just got Mrs. Bouvier written down on the pad. Um. <laughs> okay, so Stu, what should we move on to Prince of Thieves for you, Stu? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't need to say anything about that film. But what did you think of it, having watched it for the first time? Well, lads, I, I don't <laughs> I don't want you to fall out with me. <laughs> I really don't want you both to fall out with me because I, I treasure both of your friendships. But um, I have to say, it didn't do an awful lot for me. And I, I, I know you both really, really... I, can't, I can see your face, Alex. <laughs> I, know you, I know you both really, really appreciate this movie. And I think that this might be down to two things before I, before I go any further. Is that first of all, I think maybe I have not been served well by watching this for the first time 30 years after it was made. Hmm. I think maybe if I'd watched it been able to watch it and appreciate it in 1991 or earlier than I have done, I might, you know, appreciate it like the fact like you guys do because you watched it in your childhood. The other thing is that we watched it on an extremely hot night and we started it very late at night. Um, so maybe I wasn't in the right viewing conditions for it either. Um, so, so, so there is that. Um, a couple of things I've noted are actually noted by by many people it turns out when i've been doing some more research so the fact that when um uh, robin and azim arrive in england yeah at Dover, wow. you guys visit, the geography thing aren't you, you they visit nottingham via hadrian's wall yeah, yeah i knew it <laughs> um but that's been but that's been covered many times so i don't want to go into that 
Um, I was waiting for him to attempt an English accent at some point, <laughs> which he never did. Um, uh, but, but there are plenty of moments I enjoyed. Um, I enjoy John Little's first line just being bollocks, shouted really loudly across the, uh, shouted really loudly across the valley. Really, really enjoyed Sean Connery's cameo at the end, which which Beth had kept a secret from me. She's seen it before. She knew it was coming up. Uh, I didn't really like Sean Connery, so, so I'm glad that he turns up. Um, the standout character for me was, was the Sheriff of Nottingham. I thought it was a better character than than Robin Hood. I thought it was better acted than than Robin Hood. Um, have I anchored you enough yet to to, to step in? Or do... <laughs> I think these are quite these are quite valid points, Louise. Yeah, I think not have with so many films like this, it's completely different. I think if you see it as an adult for the first time, so I wouldn't really expect any adult seeing it for the first time to think it was anywhere near as good as I or Adam do, because it's just the nature of these sort of films, isn't it? So yeah, it's hard to argue with those those things, particularly. Um, I don't. I don't want you to get me wrong. I don't. I don't by any stretch of the imagination think that it's a bad movie. I, I would. I would never say that about a about Robin the Prince of Thieves like I say it just didn't it didn't really do a lot for me to I, I, I don't know to, to sort of back up what, what I'd heard about it being uh being one of the being one of the greats in the 90s um but, but it's just uh, you know it's just uh that's just a personal thing and uh, I'm not about to uh, it's not a hill I'm about to die on so so don't worry um there was another thing which was um even though they're all in Nottingham and presumably most of the people who are in the forest when Robin gets there would have lived their entire lives in Nottingham or the Midlands. Why have they all got West Country accents? It's, it's, it's just because they're simple folk and simple folk must have West Country accents to denote the fact that they're simple. It, I, I am, I'm offended. It feels like the hill to die on, doesn't it, almost? That's that's the hill to die on, you're quite right. That's the hill to die on. I, I was quite offended by that. But, th- th- again, this is not the first movie that's done that, and it won't be the last. But as a proud West Countryman with a with a West Country accent, um, I was I was a bit hurt by that. I mean, to be fair, you do live in the trees, though, Stu, so you can't really, <laughs> can't really say that there's anything wrong with that. And maybe it's just a Wessex accent, and that's what it was like in those days. And it's only in... Sorry, not not a Wessex accent, a, a, a Saxon accent. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's survived in um, Wessex and also East Anglia, bizarrely, and nowhere else. But um, yeah, valid point. Um, but so how do you think it compares to the original, well, not the original, the, the British Robin Hood, the other film? Well, they're quite different stories as we've, as we've established. So in a way, it's a little bit difficult to compare them directly. Um, I think in terms of action and fun i think you have to look at prince of thieves um i think alan i think alan rickman as as a sheriff of nottingham is a better villain than the uh than the german frenchman <laughs> um there, there, there can be there can be no doubt about that and one other thing we touched on this briefly in the films of 91 last week but we're weighing up here or we were weighing up the sheriff of nottingham against hans gruber um, for me, I still think Hans Gruber is the greater villain, the c- cinematic villain. Now, having appreciated, because the Sheriff of Nottingham is obviously it's a bit of a, it is a bit of a pantomime thing. Um, yeah. And again, may- maybe as I was just saying about the movies, because they're so different, they can't really be directly compared. 
because the Sheriff of Nottingham is, is a great pantomime movie villain, but Hans Gruber is a great ultra-realistic terrorist villain. Um, hmm. So really, they can't be directly compared. Um, but in terms of performance, I, I think uh, I, I think I prefer Hans Gruber. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I did I did uh, prefer the Prince of Thieves in terms of in terms of fun and action. Um, the, the fight scenes were, were a bit more realistic. We've obviously already discussed the fact that there was a lot of bloodless uh, bloodless battling in in the first movie. Um, but and, and in terms of actually comparing them directly, I'm I'm not sure that it can really be be sort of done very effectively. I, I, I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I'm not sure. Really. I, I think because I, I rewatched the Patrick Bergen one, the the, the British made one mm-hmm. first. And, I, and as I was watching that, I was thinking, oh, yeah, this is this is like pretty good, really. Like, despite like the what I complained about, the, the, the dodgy action towards the end, I thought like this is holding my attention. It's sort of like there's enough going on that I'm in, into this. But then I put Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves on and immediately it's, it's it feels like a big film. There's like a lot of action happening. There's sort of set pieces and it, it feels like a big production, whereas, yeah, the other one is more like you can see why the other one went basically straight to tv i think or straight to video well yeah i think that is the main difference isn't it is the sort of production values and the direction um and there's just certain things about the way it's directed you can tell it's not done by hollywood bigwig because prince of thieves is directed by kevin reynolds who did some other fairly big hollywood films i know he, he played a big part in in uh, dancing with wolves um with kevin costner also directed Waterworld, which whatever you think about it is a big Hollywood film, and a couple of other films I really like as well. Actually, um, there's a film called The Beast of War, which I really like, which no one else seems to have seen. But so I quite like this director. But the um, the British version is directed by someone called John Irvin, and I don't really recognise anything else he's directed. So he's obviously not such a big name. But there's elements of the story as well that are kind of less polished, like. Like when they rescue the people from the hanging, it's sort of the the plot of that or the plan. Also, with the interruption in the wedding, it's all just very quick. You know, they make the plan and then suddenly they're there, they're in the crowd. Whereas in Prince of Thieves, when they're rescuing the people from hanging, it's a lot of build up to it. You know, it builds the tension, um, which is just, I guess, more professional when it comes to direction and, and editing and, and writing. So that was well, that- a big thing. That links in quite well to the next thing I was going to mention briefly, which is that, Adam, you said that the the British uh, Robin Hood sort of held your attention and there was, you know, there, there were things going on to, to keep you involved. Now, that movie is about an hour and 45 minutes, which I felt was was the perfect length for it. At two and a half hours, Prince of Thieves did feel a bit long to That's... me. and And again, it could be... That it could it could be the the circumstances in which I was watching it, um, hmm. but it 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 felt it felt long to me. It did I, you know I did find myself checking the time at at points, um, whereas I didn't really with the first film. And I am not saying many things that are yeah, endearing myself to you guys this evening. I realise that, but I'm I'm here to, I'm here to provide balance. <laughs> Were you watching the extended version? Because I know there's an extended cut which has an extra fifteen minutes. I might be wrong. Yeah, there's definitely an extended version with quite a lot more, which I've only watched once. The last time I watched it fairly re- relatively recently, 
I watched that version for the first time. There is a fair bit added. Right, that might explain it then. So, <laughs> Stu, in, in the version you watched, was there quite a long bit with the witch and the sheriff of Nottingham where they were sort of... Or were they sort of making potions or something? They were in her room in the castle quite a lot. Yeah, and yeah. Because in the, the main, the normal cut, there's very little of that. So I think... Right, okay, that explains it then. I, I, I would like to withdraw that comment. I mean, it's fair enough. I, I've watched it so many times and it's such a big film for me, but I would have had no idea how long it was. It, I guess it's just one of those films where I know it so well that time just has no meaning when I'm watching it because I, I, I had no idea that it was that long. It's um, watch of a film, is how you're saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Apparently there could have potentially been an even longer cut of it originally. Um, I read that Kevin Costner was... He basically hijacked the editing process of the film and, and was unhappy that... Um, or he was aware of and unhappy about Alan Rickman uh, sort of stealing this, a lot of the stealing the show basically, and so he had a lot of his scenes cut from the from the film. So potentially there, there could have been a much longer, much more uh, Sheriff of Nottingham heavy film, which I would have really liked to have seen. But apparently, a bit of trivia as well that there's originally the sheriff and the witch were supposed to be revealed to be mother and son. But that was removed. That was originally written in, and, and the director was annoyed by that being edited out. So, I think the extended version alludes to that a bit more, but it's still not revealed. Um, yeah, there's a sort of Exorcist-style swapping. Oh, not Exorcist. Sorry, The Omen. You know, in The Omen, like the the swapping of one child for another child. Yeah. I think that that's how uh, the, the sheriff of Nottingham ends up in the position that he is. Apparently, he sort of swapped by his mother for another child who is going to be. Okay. Sort of a nobleman or of some kind. Yeah, uh, I think in terms of uh, another thing to compare them with, I think the only thing in the British version that I prefer is probably that feeling of that that sort of wintry setting and that earthiness and that roughness around the edges. I, I do like that. It's almost a bit like a British folk horror film sort of setting, which I really like one of my favourite sort of settings for a film. So I, I definitely like that. Um, not that I didn't also really like the, the, the Prince of Thieves woodland. I thought that was really, really cool. But um, yeah, what about you, Adam? How would you compare the two? Um, in terms of the setting, do you mean? No, just generally. Like, I, I, mean, I know which one you prefer, but... Oh, yeah, yeah. I definitely prefer Prince of Thieves. But um, there, were, there were bits of the other film that, that I did like more, like the, the wedding at the end felt... Felt like if they'd taken that approach to the Prince of Thieves one, it would have would have been preferable. Um, um, I, I think I left. I think I left my my decision hanging because I said that it was. Oh yeah, you I did. Felt, I felt like it was quite difficult to compare the two movies due to the the you know the the various differences. But but I do think that if I had to come out in favour of one, despite everything I've said. I think I would have to come out in favour of Prince of Thieves, um, ju just for the Alan Rickman performance and the and the uh, the better action sequences, etc., uh, etc., et and the appearance, of course, of uh, of Sean at the end. Um, I, I would have to come out in favour of Prince of Thieves. So, so it is a uh, it is a, a majority verdict there, and I hope that goes some way to making up for the scandalous comments I've made this evening. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll let you off. I forgive you. Um, also, we—I mean—we haven't even mentioned the uh, the Brian Adams theme song, which sort of 
is better than the whole of the British film as put together. So it's about as long as the British film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, I, I mean, the soundtrack to the British one was was fine, but it yeah, didn't have anything quite like that. Um. Right. Well, we've been talking about this for longer than we we're expecting, which isn't actually that surprising, but. Instead of doing the the usual what's the most nineties feature we do with our with our canon episodes, we decided to do a who is the best or who would be the perfect nineties casting for Robin Hood. Um, that that's like a, the bonus feature today. So, what were you both thinking about that? Who would you think would make the perfect Robin Hood from from the nineties? Well. Um... I thought about something which I've seen once, um, which is one more time than a lot of things that we discuss on this podcast. Um, and I saw it at the Millennium Dome in uh, 1999, I think, and it was Blackadder back and forth, which was ah, the, yes. the specially, yeah. specially produced uh, episode of Blackadder to be screened in the Millennium Dome. And uh, in it, he builds a time machine and goes throughout, you know, to various points of time. And he meets... At one point, Robin Hood, played by Rick Mayall, um, which, which is a which is like a two or three minute sort of skit in a much larger thing. Um, but I would have loved to have seen uh, a full series or movie with with Rick Mayall as Robin Hood, or or maybe even a Blackadder, you know, surrounding uh, it, based in that time uh, would have been great. But but I think Rick Mayall for me. Um, I also asked this question to Beth, who came up with a far better answer as she normally does for these things. Uh, she would like to see a Muppets version of Robin Hood uh, with, of course, Kermit the Frog playing the lead role. So so that's uh, that's from the Joslin household. It's either Rick Mail or Kermit the Frog for us. That's a great answer, Kermit the Frog. Great choices. <laughs> uh, what about you, Adam? Can you better I, that? I, I definitely can't better that. Mine were more sort of straight down the line sort of answers. Because uh, I had a sort of quick think about, I tried to do it, with actors who would have been an appropriate-ish age in the 90s to play the, to play that character. And I did struggle a little bit, but then I landed on Christian Bale, who would have been, I think, 25 by 1999. So maybe a bit young, but still, like, old enough, potentially, to play that character. And I thought he had the right... He would have the right presence to inspire the Merry Men uh, and also like do all the action stuff. He maybe wouldn't be so good at any of the uh, any sort of levity or anything in it, but that that's someone who I thought would have been a good a good choice for someone who would uh, rob from the rich and give to the poor and yeah, in, inspire folk tales and stuff. But my um, the, after thinking about that, I did think although it would have not potentially been excellent. Uh, an excellent performance i would have really liked to have seen a keanu reeves robin hood <laughs> i feel like that if we were going to have if we were going to allow kevin costner to just do an american accent why not let keanu reeves do his sort of not very good english accent but i think he would have been a really good sort of heartthrob yeah robin hood so i think we should wrap it up there because it's we're, we're we're bordering on that a normal episode in length here, which is not our, our, <laughs> not our the intention. Yeah, not our intention at all. But um, if you've got any thoughts on either of these films, if you have seen uh, Robin Hood, the British one recently, 
we'd definitely like to hear from you because I don't know anyone else who's ever seen this, so please do get in contact about that. But also, if you're a Prince of Thieves fan or you want to talk about the any of the series that were on over the years or any other films that we don't know about, get in touch in the usual ways. On Twitter at AllRight90s, email AllRight90s at gmail.com, facebook.com forward slash AllRight90s, and then on Instagram, we are allright.90s.podcast. And yeah, have, have either of you got any closing comments on uh, Robin Hood? There's something that I, I sort of thought through watching both of them in bits today is uh, how often the characters sort of plunge into water. And I, mm. I sort of think now as someone who was able to get into like a house with central heating and with sort of like dry fluffy towels and stuff i'm reluctant to get into cold water so i can't imagine how anyone would ever really willingly go into a cold river in like what was it 12th century yeah (laughs) when you're going to be stuck in those clothes potentially for the rest until you die I also, yeah, I also felt like that when they're in the British one where they fall in the water and it's the middle of winter. I guess that's that's what happens when you grow up. You watch these films and you think about the practicalities. You're no longer just enjoying it for the moment. You're thinking, well, Hadrian's Wall is north of Nottingham, so that doesn't make sense. Or you're thinking, it's too cold to go in the river. This is when, this is where you've got to watch these things when you're a kid. When Kevin Cust- when Rob- Kevin Costner's Robin Hood jumps from the the boat as it's being rowed to shore in Dover and sort of wades through the water because he's so excited to be home. I'm, I'm thinking, you're going to have to walk all the way to Hadrian's Wall in those wet boots yeah. now. True. Oh yeah, and then he like sort of eats some of the shoreline, doesn't he, as well, which is a little over the top. He's, but, uh... he's saying you don't do that, Stu, when you get off the plane at Gatwick. Are you saying you don't <laughs> get down on your hands and knees and lick the tarmac? I do it when I come home from work. I just pick some uh, <laughs> pick some grass out of the front garden and have a little nibble. Just, yeah. <laughs> great to be back here in Fusion. <laughs> um, right, well, I think that should be about it, really, because, um, yeah, I don't want to hear Stu criticise the greatest film ever made anymore. <laughs> uh, too painful. So, uh, yeah, I think that's that's it. So thanks, Adam, for coming on and giving us your expert thoughts on uh, a film that I know means a lot to you and also the, the British version. It's been uh, good to have you on. Yeah, thanks, I've talked about this probably for the same length of time again. Probably for the entire running time of the extended cut of Prince of Thieves, I could talk about that film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. I, I could talk for for another hour, but um, well, I can we I can leave you guys now, and then you can do an extended cut <laughs> if you if that's what you would like. Yeah, it could be like the lost the lost cut from Prince of Thieves, where uh, there's, <laughs> there's more more content from the the Greenwood Brothers. Um. <laughs> In the editing, when you come to edit this podcast, I'll sort of lock you both out of the studio and, and cut out all of Stu's <laughs> best bits. <laughs> Brilliant. Right. Okay, well, we will see uh, you all next time when I believe we're doing an episode on uh, One Hit Wonders of the 90s. We are. Um, but until then, uh, it's farewell from me. And it's fairly well from me, good people. Cancel the kitchen scraps for lepers and orphans. No more merciful beheadings. And call off Christmas.